welcome back to Tickle Me. I'm your host, Julia Newcorn, and Tickle Me is a podcast about how media and entertainment influence our self-expression and the ways we think about the world around us. Make sure to follow the podcast wherever you listen because a new episode comes out every single Sunday. So it's really nice to kind of stay in the loop, you know, get that little notification every week when a new episode hits your inbox or whatever it's called. Also, if you want, you can follow me on Instagram. My username is oldkerm, O-L-D-K-E-R-M. And the Tickle Me Twitter is called Tickle Me Podcast. Please follow that too. I mean, you really don't have to follow any of these things. I'm just like giving you a light suggestion. So today I've got a fun like microphone setup because the microphone is on top of a stack of books and I'm sitting as close to my heat my radiator as I can because it's very cold. <laughs> we're dealing, we're dealing. So today, you know, I, I do this every so often where I have some thoughts that I need to get out about um, recent media that I've consumed, whether that be books, movies, television, whatever. This week, I want to discuss two books and a movie. Oh my gosh. And they're like pretty well known. So buckle up, everyone. Buckle up. (laughs) I uh, want to start with the movie. Like, I think it's the thing that most people have watched or read compared to the two books that I'm going to be talking about. I'm going to be talking about Call Me By Your Name. The first time I watched Call Me By Your Name, I was on an airplane and I was, it was new. So I was, I was like 17 or something. And like, maybe I was in love or I was like about to be in love or something. And I was like watching this movie and, you know, of course I cried because I was on an airplane and it's, you know, inevitable to cry in airplanes because you, you know, you're looking out the window, you're thinking about life and you just can't help but get sappy. Like I've cried many times on, on an airplane up in the air, but now I'm on air and I'm telling you about it. (laughs) You know, I hadn't seen Call Me By Your Name in a while and Timothy Chalamet is like more established in his career and Army Hammer has got the whole cannibalism thing. So, you know, I felt it would be appropriate to rewatch the movie. So I did and um, I did not really cry. I, I mean, I, okay, fine, I kind of did. But not like, I didn't sob like I did on the airplane, okay? And I also took a completely different message from the movie, which I think is a really cool thing because whenever you rewatch a movie, you're in a different phase of life and you're thinking about different things. So of course you're going to interpret the message differently because different thoughts are going through your head. So the first time around when I watched Call Me By Your Name, I, you know, of course, I was like, oh, this is a love story. This is about love. And it is about love. I I still agree. It's about love. It's about a lot of different kinds of love. And most people would say it's about, like, romantic love or sexual love or, like, coming of age and discovering what love feels like for the first time or something or discovering heartbreak. Um, And it is about those things. But more so, I think it's about familial love. Um, the family and how 
important the family is and how unconditional it can be. And I know for a lot of people, family is a really sore topic and um, a lot of people don't feel that way. But I think in Calmly By Your Name, the family is really close. Timothy Chalamet uh, or Elio and his two parents, his mother and his father, they're really cl- they're, they're quite a unit, um, you know, because it seems like he's an only child and they spend a lot of time, you know, it's the 80s. They're like forced to talk to each other and whatever. And they're European. So they're like open, <laughs> whatever that means. I don't know. I think that the movie really explores how family love can be stable and always there when you need it to be while romantic or sexual love might be, you know, fleeting or not working out for you. I think it's about how the love between multiple hearts and minds can evolve as different things happen to different people and how people like the family, different family members can bond with each other. And, you know, they do. I think that the especially with Elio and his father, they really do bond about love because they're very untraditional. Usually father-son relationships are are and are portrayed as super like macho, like we don't cry, we don't talk about feelings, etc. But um the father and the son in the show are very emotional and very raw and um aren't afraid to talk about their feelings and aren't afraid to cry and to show it, you know? Um, and a a couple of times throughout the movie, Elio's father does kind of approach him and, you know, mention like, yeah, like I kind of know what you're going through or it's okay to feel whatever you need to feel. Um, you know, I've been there and you might want to run away or whatever. And I, you know, I just want you to know that like, I understand how you feel and I'm always there for you. And it's really, really nice, you know, and it really says something. Also, I think... Oh my gosh, if you haven't seen the movie, let me just tell you what it's about. Oh my gosh, that's so awkward. So Call Me By Your Name is sort of a love story between a 17-year-old boy named Elio and an American like grad student, like mid-20s, Army Hammer. His name is Oliver, who visits and studies with Elio's father in like Italy, I think. And it's the summer, it's the summer of 83. It's super beautiful. And the director does a really good job, like catching all these lazy summer moments and um, capturing what it's like to sort of become obsessed with someone else. And I think Timothy Chalamet also does a really good job of capturing that. And he, you know, there are a few shots where it's just Oliver, the older man is doing something. And then Elio is just completely entranced and just watching him and his mouth is sort of hanging open. And he's just kind of like, oh my gosh, like this man is so awesome and so cool and attractive. And like, I just want to be like him. And you could tell because over throughout the film, you know, he, you know, starts to wear his own Star of David necklace because Oliver wears a Star of David necklace and he's not afraid to show that he's Jewish. And Elio's like, I'm Jewish. I also want to be not afraid to show, you know, my religious thoughts and whatever and uh, dance like nobody's watching and all that. And then at the end, Oliver leaves to go back to America and fast forward like a year. Oliver calls Elio and he's like, just so you know, I'm getting married to a woman. And like that's that's just the end of it. So that's the movie. If you have not seen it, I do recommend it. It's, it's a beautiful movie. I think it does stand the test of time, except for the cannibalism thing. Um, 
For those of you who don't know, Army Hammer uh, was exposed for having a cannibalism kink and also for kind of harassing women. If you want to know more about it, just look up the articles about it. It's honestly very confusing and I might not be telling you the correct information, but uh, I digress. So the a scene that stood out to me in which familial love was really emphasized and we were sort of brought back to the present is when Oliver is leaving, like he leaves on the train and Elio, you know, he stands there and he's watching the train and then the train goes away and Elio is left all alone and his fairy tale summer sort of ends um, and he goes into a phone booth and he calls his mom and he's like, mom, can you please pick me up? And he's like crying. And that in that moment, you're you're reminded that this is like a 17 year old boy who has never experienced this kind of heartbreak or love before. And he doesn't know what to do. And he's turning to his mom, his family, his comfort for help. And, um, you know, he's crying in the car and she drives him home. And it's really sweet and really sad. So that's one moment in the film where Elio is ripped out of this fairy tale and his family comes to the rescue. And I think another time when that happens is the last scene where Elio is crying for a really uncomfortably long amount of time by the fireplace. And, you know, the Sufjan Stevens song is playing and, you know, you're... You as the viewer are probably also crying because you're like, fuck, like this dude, he's going through so much hell and like I feel for him and maybe you're thinking about your own heartbreak and so whatever. Um, So after the long scene has gone on, in the background, um, the maid is setting up the table for dinner and the parents are, you know, getting ready to eat dinner. In the very last few seconds of the movie, his family's like, Elio, it's time for dinner. Like, come join us. And he turns because this whole time he's kind of staring into the fire and crying. And then he turns and he looks away uh, towards the family and the dinner table. And then it goes to black and the credits roll. Right. Um, And I think that that was a very intentional scene because to me, at least, I think that so he, you know, he's going through this entire like really uncomfortable journey. He's so sad he doesn't know what to do you know your mind is just it's like both blank and teeming with like overflowing with like emotion and thoughts and your you know your head is going a bajillion miles per minute should I say kilometers because um this is in Europe right your mind is going a bajillion kilometers per minute and you you're, you're crying and you can't breathe and you're just you're overthinking every single you know, moment with this person, every single final moment with this person and all of the beginning ones too. And you're just thinking about the relationship and how it's run its course or how it maybe should have continued on and whatever, right? Um, I'm sure a lot of you have experienced this at one point in some form or another. So he's thinking about this. You know he's thinking about this if you've experienced heartbreak before. But either way, he's clearly uncomfortable and you're clearly all uncomfortable. And then... The family saves him again. He's taken out of his like stupor. Stupor? That's not the right word. He's taken out of his his craze, his crying moment. And he actually moves and he looks away. And that's a, it's like he's looking away from that part of his life for a second. Focusing 
on the love that's been there the whole time and the love that will bring him to present out of this fairy tale of heartbreak and love. And I don't know. I just think it's really beautiful. I think all the reviews I've read have really focused on this love story, this coming of age, this, you know, coming to terms with your sexuality and how like the public eye might see that and whatever. But also like family check, right? Like (laughs) Elio and his parents are tight (laughs) and they love each other. And the movie, I don't know, I haven't read the book, but the movie does it a marvelous job of showing that and I just wanted to tell you because I think that it's important yes that's my review of call me by your name pivoting over to my book review let me set the scene okay (laughs) it's winter break for me there's a pandemic I would read no matter what if there was a pandemic or not because it's winter break. And you know what that means? It's time to catch up on all the books I started in the summer and then had to pause because school took up all my time. So I think those of us who read are constantly seeking the best kind of genre um, to suit our needs, the best authors, and our favorite like style of writing. I've realized that there are so many styles of writing and some of them stick to me more easily than others. I think, and I've talked about this before in my episode about figuring out the age you need to be when consuming certain kinds of media, uh, go check it. But (laughs) I constantly struggle with finding material to read that is suitable for my age group that's written for adults, but also is interesting. Like, I don't want to just read Obama's memoir, you know, like, I'm sure it's interesting, but it's like 800 pages of Obama's life. And like, we've heard the man talk before. He's great at talking, but like, Sometimes I just want to read about, like, aliens or something. For those of us who aren't dads, we we struggle with finding the right thing to read. And one time, okay, wait, this is kind of, like, off topic, but also totally on topic. So when I was a freshman in college, I was undeclared. I didn't know what I was going to major in. Um, So I went to this uh, meeting thing with all the undeclared freshmen at University of Denver. And this woman was, like, the woman leading it, she was, like, let's do this exercise where you, you write down something that you did when you were little that you really enjoyed doing more often than not your whatever you end up doing or majoring in is some sort of product of that or it's somehow a lot of the time it's related to what you enjoyed when you were a kid I don't remember what I wrote down but I realize now that she's totally right and I'm going to apply this to my reading preferences so when I was little when I was in fourth grade I first undertook the task of reading the entire Percy Jackson series and from then on I was hooked and I couldn't wait until the next book came out and I did it all I did it all okay and one of those things I did was go to the library a lot I so I lived I grew up in Edgewater in Chicago Um, for those of you who don't know it's pretty much on the northeastern tip of the city So I lived really close to the suburb called Evanston. My mom actually worked there as a a reading specialist teacher. Even though she was a Chicago resident, she had like an Evanston library card type thing. Because of that, like we were able to check out like a lot more books than we would have been able to if we used our Chicago public library cards. 
So I would always leave every, like every week I'd go to the library with my family and like I'd leave with like 10 books or something and make my way through them over time. And I loved it. So after I read Percy Jackson, I was like, oh my God. You know, I was first introduced to the world of mythology and I was like, I love this. I love it. So I went to the Greek mythology. I think it was the Greek and Roman mythology section of the library. I can still picture it now. And I checked out every book (laughs) and I read them all to this day I am a mythology nerd like you know if you if you're a listener to this of this podcast I I think one time I was on a tinder date or something and I and at one point uh the person was like this is the second time you've mentioned Percy Jackson on this excursion and I was like well yeah because it's a big part of my life okay Ever since I I read Percy Jackson, I've been chasing that high of what that book series still gives me, Uh, you know, that page turning. Like, I love the characters. I love the story. And I love the myths that inspired the whole thing. Fast forward now. My cousin actually recommended that I read the book Circe by Madeline Miller. And I finally read it. Okay. And that's the first book that I want to talk about. By the way, the other book that I'm going to be talking about is The Odyssey, you know, the classic, literally a classic book by Homer. But let me talk about Circe. The book is written as a novel and it's in the point of view of Circe. Now, Circe is uh, the daughter of Helios, the sun god, one of the sun gods, um, or Titan, I forget. But he's like a big sun man, okay? And Circe's the daughter of him and like a nymph. And so she's immortal. She's a goddess, technically. In Greek mythology, you don't have to be like a god of this or a god of that. You can just kind of be a god. So that's what she is. So the book just kind of like sort of written like a memoir about Circe. It's just her experience like going through life from birth until the end of that saga for her. It's not the kind of book that you can really spoil. It's honestly really about (laughs) the journey, the the odyssey (laughs) more than like what happens it's really the writing that gets you and uh, that makes you think so throughout the book it just it just goes so she's born uh, her life like living in the palace of the gods and with all of her immortal family members and uh she she starts out as this really timid insecure little little thing right and she does a few bad naughty things and then she ends up getting exiled to Um, an island she's there for thousands and thousands of years so she can't leave this island but every so often people come and visit a frequent visitor is the god hermes who keeps her up to date on all of the heroes that are doing their thing you know some some heroes actually wash up on our shores uh like odysseus even daedalus the inventor eventually at the end of the book she ends her imprisonment and she just leaves the island and then it ends here are my thoughts on the book the book to me was about sort of coming of age but stretched throughout thousands of years because Cersei is immortal which is kind of a fun twist because you get to see her witness humanity's development from like the very creation of humanity until Trojan War era so that's really cool because she's she's like oh Prometheus gave them fire and then she like talks to Prometheus and then blah 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 it's kind of like an exaggeration of the human coming of age experience in a way like a really slowed down but also really sped up coming of age tale so like I said earlier 
Throughout the book, she's imprisoned on this island and she's unable to leave, but other people can visit her. So she is both in control and out of control of what she can do because she has control of her immediate surroundings, um, but she can't control anything beyond this island. And she learns magic. She becomes a sorceress and she learns how to transform like the most famous uh, story of Circe is how she like transforms uh, sailors into pigs. And, you know, as the novel progresses, her her power becomes stronger because she becomes more confident in, in her power and in herself and learns more and more things. And she just opens her mind in different ways as she meets different people. And as she experiences love and heartbreak because, um, you know, she she bonds with Daedalus, doesn't exactly fall in love with him, but certainly has a crush on him. She definitely has a thing with Odysseus. They, like, have sex a lot. So she ends up having a son with Odysseus, and his name is Telegonus, or Telegonus, maybe? That's probably how you stress it. So it also shows, like, her maternal love and her lessons learned through raising a child and I think that that might be the closest she actually gets to becoming to, to being like a human because gods it, it talks about this sometimes how gods don't feel a lot of the feelings that humans feel or at least they don't have to deal with them long term like gods can feel pain but they don't adorn scars right so one of the quotes actually from this book is you cannot know how frightened gods are of pain there is nothing more foreign to them, and so nothing they ache more deeply to see. It's true. Like, gods just, it's it's like weird territory. <laughs> and also, like, they don't fear death. And I think that that's, like, one of the things that propels a lot of people in life is, um, like, you're going to die, so you have to take advantage of every moment. But Cersei doesn't because she doesn't have that, which is why it takes her thousands of years to leave her island. And that's actually, I, I keep forgetting to get to that point. Um, so I think that the book is about autonomy, about finding autonomy. We all learn to do that in life. Ow, fuck. Oh, my God. Oh, my legs just cramped up. Okay, anyways. So we all are are striving to figure out life and find out our path. And um, at one point, we sort of realize, like, you kind of have to take control of your own life. I learned that. I think my freshman year of college when I transferred schools and I moved to New York, I was like, ooh, I kind of wanted to do that. And then I just did. And it was cool and fun. Yeah, I think a lot of people can can forget that they have the ability to do whatever they want in a sense in certain situations. It's the same with Cersei. Like she really didn't – she didn't know that she – you know, because especially with, with this, it's like they they think that life is – predetermined and the, the fates have control of their life and whatever and so so Cersei's like I can't do any of this stuff like I can't just like leave the island like I'm imprisoned here but at the end of the book you know what she does she just leaves it's not like her imprisonment is like officially over she just like tells the gods Zeus and Helios who imprisoned her she's like guys like I'm just gonna leave and you're gonna have to deal with it and then she leaves and that's incredible and it really made me reflect on that. So I, I applaud Madeline Miller for, for doing this incredible writing. And this brings me to The Odyssey. So um, The Odyssey was one of those books that I started like months ago and I finally picked it up and read it. Um, I think it has a lot to do with the translation that you choose to read. I started with a really old translation, but uh, I 
ended up reading, finishing it on this better translation that was like a lot more current. Um, so that's just a tip. I'll link the, the books that I talked about in this episode down below, including the exact translation of the Odyssey that I read because it, it has just such a huge impact. The Odyssey. So I read this after I read Search after I finished Circe and I think that it really helped because the stories really overlap. Like I mentioned, Odysseus and Circe cross paths a couple of times and both books cover that, um, but in their own way. And, you know, it's interesting to think about because Circe, Madeline Miller had to, you know, she read the Odyssey, she read the Iliad, she read the Aeneid, all of those things so that she would be able to write this riff off, right? Because Homer, like Homer's the OG dude, like, he wrote all this stuff. There's a reason it's called classics, you know? And uh, that's where we get a lot of our our knowledge about mythology, Greek mythology. It was interesting to read it after I read Circe because I know that Circe was based on the Odyssey and it's like a fun flip-flop. Um, but yeah, it did just help me like remember the, the characters and stuff. And it was cool to read two different people's interpretations of the characters I, I I can't help but think about how all these different texts that I've read about uh, different characters in, in mythology, different gods and different heroes, how everyone sort of portrays the personalities of these characters a little bit differently. I love that. <laughs> I think it's so cool. Actually, both in the Odyssey and in Circe, Odysseus is an asshole. Like, he sucks. Like, he's really – he's just, like, a terrible guy because he he sort of only thinks about himself – um, and he, you know, that's partly because he has to, because he has to survive. But, like, truly he only cares about himself. And in the end of the Odyssey, he goes on this, like, manslaughter, like, killing rampage. And it's really awful. Oh, my God. It's so awful. <sighs> what Homer does is he sort of lays out all of the facts. But what Madeline Miller does is he, she, she lays out all the facts and then she sort of writes Circe's reaction so like Circe reacts to Odysseus's actions and so you can sort of see how grotesque a lot of the stuff he does is because Madeline Miller sort of puts it into context and she's like yeah this is what he did this is like what he did what his son did whatever and this is how it makes someone feel and that was really cool and like it wasn't just Odysseus who was portrayed differently it was his son Telemachus or Telemachus maybe Medea Daedalus even the Cyclops Polyphemus they were all portrayed differently in all these different texts I remember in the Odyssey uh Polyphemus is honestly just portrayed as like another just another person Odysseus sees him as a beast right but Polyphemus I mean he you know he's a Cyclops whatever some people see that as a monster some people don't I love reading different tales of the same heroes because we really like no one actually knows what these people were like if they even existed you know it's awesome and every time the story gets interpreted in a different way it changes a little bit and that's I mean that's how storytelling goes another thing about the odyssey that I really appreciated um was once you read like a classic thing or you you watch something that's so culturally relevant you kind of start to recognize a lot of little sayings or things like okay my example that I can bring to you here that you might a lot of you might know is glee before I watched it I would hear people be like 
like even my mother, people would be like, that's how Sue sees it. And I was like, oh, that's just like a fun saying. Like it's a fun alliteration. We love to hear it. But it's actually just like fucking a reference to Glee or like, I don't know. There are a lot of like office references and stuff. Even, you know, one that I, I found the other day, um, not all, wait, what is it? It's not all who wander are lost. I The other day I was talking to my friends and I was like, man, that Bible reference, like it's in my head right now. And they're like, no, that's literally from the Lord of the Rings. Like, come on. That shit. Like you think it's from fucking classic literature and it's from a television show or movie. But uh, same thing with Odyssey. Like when I read other later texts about mythology, I know that they adapted that from the, the Odyssey and stuff. Okay, my last point <laughs> about the Odyssey. Here's how it goes. So Athena is sort of like the patron goddess of, of Odysseus and she sort of guides him along throughout the whole journey. Often like when Odysseus is meeting new people, the text would be like, and Athena poured attractiveness and grace over over Odysseus and he grew a few feet and he looked amazing and whatever and he was clean and he looked like a different man and everyone respected him because he was amazing. But the, the point of that is that the verbiage, it would be like Athena poured sleep over Penelope. It, it'd always be the word pour or like, I don't know, like envelop or something like that. A very... Mm, what's the word <sighs> words that you know have a lot of motion to them <laughs> and I was thinking like if someone made some sort of ASMR video based on these these little like verbiage things like if someone made like ASMR Athena pours attractiveness over you like <laughs> I would click that shit like I love that. I, I think that someone needs to do that. Because can you imagine, like, because I sort of think of, like, water pouring over your head or something. Or, like, a, an egg. Like, a raw egg pouring over your head. But it's attractiveness. Or it's sleep. Like, shutting your eyes and dripping down your face and into your bones and relaxing all your muscles. See? Isn't that relaxing? Oh, my gosh. It excites me. So... Um, if any of you listening are ASMR creators, please, please create that video. I would click it. I would watch the whole thing and fall asleep to it. Anyways, so uh, those are the things I've been thinking about recently, the things that I read and watched, and um, I recommend them all. All great stuff, all about classic human experiences that we can all relate to. Also, if you want to keep up with what I'm reading, I have a Goodreads account. I'll link it in the description. It's fun. I think it's a really fun way to like keep track of what you want to read because I often am recommended books and then I completely forget or I write them down in my phone notes and then I, those get lost. Um, yeah, Goodreads is fun. And I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. I think that it maybe might not be interesting if you don't know a lot about these things, but I hope it was interesting anyway. I mean, I'm up, I'm uploading it either way. So yeah, you're going to have to deal with that. If you want to listen to other episodes of mine, I just came out with a two-part series with Noah Torito about uh, music and stuff. And I, I'm really, really proud of it. So I would really appreciate if you checked it out, if you haven't already. Um, it was like the biggest project I've ever done. 
with this podcast so far. If you are interested in collaborating with me, please send me a message. I will never say no. Like, I'm so down. I love collaborating with others. We can talk about whatevs, man. Like, here I am talking about fucking the Odyssey. So, (laughs) yeah. I hope that you have a great day. Stay cool. Stay happy. Stay stay kicking. Yeah, I'll always be there. (laughs) Peace out.